Are you a kingdom-minded real estate investor? Do you see real estate as an incredible vehicle to advance the flourishing of the kingdom and mission of Christ? If so, we welcome you to the Kingdom Real Estate Investors Podcast, the podcast to spotlight and share the stories of real estate investors just like you who are advancing the kingdom of God and using real estate as the vehicle. Let's get into the show. Kingdom Real Estate Investors, if you have not gone to oneconnectionaway.com, then you don't know that we have been promoting and just finished a live 90-minute webinar where I shared the exact strategies and secrets that have helped me go from college pastor to full-time real estate investor and purchase more than $100 million of multifamily real estate. But not only me, I also shared the secrets and strategies of those inside of our Kingdom REI Mastermind that have helped them become CEOs to attain financial freedom, to actually leverage a business for kingdom advancement. We've gotten incredible, incredible reviews, and so we're going to do an encore coming up very soon that I want to invite you to attend. If you have not already attended this, go to oneconnectionaway.com. That's oneconnectionaway.com to grab your seat for our next live webinar so that you can learn exactly what we have to quit your job and begin to live life on your own terms through commercial real estate. Oneconnectionaway.com. Let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Kingdom REI podcast. This is your boy, Cameron Roy. Ellis had a quick last minute trip to Los Angeles and he is driving. So it is just me today. I'll be driving the ship and hopefully I don't uh, steer us into any sand barges and it's smooth sailing on the way. We've got a cool guest on today. It sounds just like he's got a lot of passion for the gifts God has given him, how to utilize them, maximize them to build people up. He specifically focuses in real estate. He's the uh, founder of a company called Verco. His name is Terrence Doyle. Terrence, how you doing, brother? I'm super, man. Cameron, thanks for having me on. Yes, we are glad to have you here and get to know you a little bit more. Um, before we get going, you mind if I pray right quick? Yeah, love it. Oh, Lord, thank you for today. Thanks for an opportunity to get to know a new brother in the faith, in the business world just to uh, give him a chance to tell his story, how you've impacted his life, how you've led him to do what he's doing with his hands, his time, his talent, God, to impact people, make them better. And I just pray that this conversation would be uplifting and helpful to those listening. And we walk away feeling refreshed, encouraged, and challenged. We love you, Lord, and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So I don't really know you that well, like I just talking about, and uh, I don't know how many of our guests know you. So why don't you give us the 30,000 foot view of who Terrence Doyle is? Well, thanks for having me on. And I'm a big fan of, you know, what you and Ellis do. And, um, you know, I think I've been following Ellis on LinkedIn, you know, for quite some time and just love his post on real estate and how he's able to weave his faith into that. And, uh, and I think just be really, you know, outspoken about what he thinks is the most important thing in life, which is his faith. And uh, so I, I'm just a big fan of what you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, want to be able to encourage you guys, support you guys and uh, in any way that I can. So thanks for having me on. And I love the work you guys are doing. High level, you know, I, I grew up in a I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa. So very blue collar Midwest. You know, I like I like to think Des Moines is one of the best places to grow up. Uh, but maybe not like the best place to live like after college, you know, not like no sports teams and not a lot of exciting things going on. Although they you know, might be changing that now. But, um, you know, amazing place to grow up. I'm very conservative. I grew up, you know, my mom was an exchange student from Bogota, Colombia. English was her second language. She was an immigrant. My dad was an immigrant from Canada. They actually met in college. 
Uh, my dad was a hockey player and my mom was really good at homework. And so they uh, found ways to help, you know, they, they found a natural connection there with my mom was really good with schoolwork and my dad was not. That was, you know, they got married young. My dad didn't go to, you know, did not finish college. And my mom never really worked, like had a career, you know, her passion really was her faith and really teaching us. So I was homeschooled from a young age and, you know, really grew up spending half the year in Columbia from the time I was maybe like third or fourth grade. So I would spend like four to six months in Columbia and go to school, spend time with my grandparents, and then four to six months being homeschooled in the United States. And that was really all I knew. And I loved it. And it was amazing. I think I developed a really great foundation there of just the fundamentals of like reading, writing, and math. And then also like in faith, you know, everything that we studied academically, you know, we would circle back to the Bible of like, where did it all come from? Like how, you know, everything would always come back to what does God's word say? What does the Bible say about this uh, particular topic? That's the way I was raised. And that's all I knew. And, uh, you know, I went to a private Christian high school after that. And I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to play basketball after high school. And so I went to a school in Arkansas called John Brown University. And, uh, you know, I really just went JBU. That's right. Yeah. Most people, I guess if you're from Texas, you would know that. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of my teammates were from Dallas, Fort Worth, actually, Mm -hmm. Dallas and Oklahoma. And um, yeah, and it was an amazing experience. I mean, great school. We had a really good basketball team and, and we had 10 incoming freshmen. And uh, you know, so I got really close with three or four of the guys and, uh, you know, became like accountability partners. And so not only were we playing basketball together, we were studying together, you know, we were going through like, what does it look like to be single? And what does it look like to want to be married and have a family? And, you know, all these things that, uh, you know, just had really rich conversations uh, about, I think, meaningful topics in life. You know, what does it look like to want to, what does it look like to want to be successful and make a lot of money? What does it look like to maybe want to be in ministry? Or what does it look like to be, you know, a faithful husband? And, you know, what does it look like to date according to the Bible? You know, all these really interesting topics that, um, you know, I think when you're at a Christian university with a curfew and with uh, segregated dorms, you know, like male and female, you know, it's like, all right, those things become more, I think, highlighted. So I had a great experience there. You know, my minor was youth ministry. So I really thought that I was going to go into youth ministry and my major was finance and accounting. And uh, so that was, you know, that was my background in education. And uh, we started a nonprofit organization in college uh, called Crossover Ministries. And, you know, it was similar to Athletes in Action, where we were taking college basketball players to Europe in the summer. We would put on camps for kids during the day. So think like Germany outside Berlin, you know, they'd have a basketball club. We would come in there as the American college basketball players, put on a camp for the kids, and then at night play against professional teams. from teams around Germany. So it was a great way to like share your faith as well as play against really, really good competition. And a lot of the guys, it was amazing. Yeah. We had a great run. And so that was like, you know, and we were freshmen in college and a couple of my buddies were juniors and seniors. It was their kind of vision. And I came alongside and, you know, we, and we grew it and that was our passion. And so they, when they graduated, they moved to Denver. And then I was able to transfer my senior year, get a scholarship at Carter Christian university in Denver. And then really with the goal of growing that uh, organization and that ministry. And our thinking at the time was, you know, we saw a lot of people in ministry always asking for support, raising support. And, you know, we were young and we were like, we don't want to live our whole lives asking for support, raising, raising support. You know, there's got to be a better way. So we started a company to basically fund the ministry. And, you know, then we franchised it 
and we had, you know, some moderate success. We, you know, we were one of the fastest growing franchises in the country in this particular, uh, in this particular asset class. And, you know, and we were young, we were 21, 22, and it, we were living in our dream out that we were funding the ministry, able to do that and still do the business. And so it was amazing. And it was an amazing experience that I'm super thankful for that. And, you know, that's really been the core of everything. I think since then is like, how can I build a business that that can fund, you know, you know, ministry can fund the gospel, can fund people that are going to go be missionaries or fund church plants or, you know, and so uh, even today, you know, for me in real estate, it's like, how can I use the business I'm in full time to help fund, you know, what I'm doing? And so, you know, fast forward, I, you know, uh, that was 2000, I graduated college in 2006, 2022, you know, since then I've started and done other businesses. You know, one time I was a sports agent, you know, we represented uh, players in the NBA and overseas. And then I started really full-time real estate investing in 2013. We had started flipping in 2008. Uh, but I kind of full-time got into it in 2013 and uh, it really went uh, parallel with when I got serious with my wife, my now wife, and I wanted to travel less, be in Denver full-time. And, uh, you know, so now, you know, I run a company, you know, it's a, it's a multifamily vertically integrated investment platform. Uh, you know, we do property management construction in-house. We buy distressed mode, you know, like outdated buildings, Denver and Des Moines, and we renovate and bring them back to life. And then we either refinance or sell. And, you know, so that's what we're doing at scale. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of my story high level. Great. I love it, man. I feel like we are best friends already. <laughs> I, uh, I went to a seminary in Littleton right after our, my undergrad. And so I made quite a few friends at Colorado Christian up cool. there. Great area. So you went to and Denver you, seminary. I did. Okay, cool. Yeah. At Littleton. Got it. So you, you still live in Denver. That's right. Yep. Okay. And in 2008, were you in Denver flipping or when did you get We were to Denver? flipping. Yeah. So my college teammate, so I had started this company. It was a carpet cleaning company. We had franchised it. It was, you know, we were, it was, it was growing pretty quickly and we had some scale. So I had made a couple bucks and I was like his first or second investor. We bought a house for like $60,000. Again, I had no idea about real estate. I just knew that it was a really profitable transaction. We could buy houses for 50 or 60, sell them for 90 in like four to five weeks. And back then it was just like paint and carpet. Right. And so I was like, oh, let's do like, let's do more of that. So we ended up flipping, I don't know, five or 600 homes from 2008 to 14. But again, like I didn't really understand real estate. I just understood that like there was a lot of opportunity and there was not a lot of capital chasing it. And we knew, and we were able to round up a couple, you know, a couple bucks at the time, you know, not very much money, but like now looking back now, I mean, when there's no money anywhere, you know, a couple million dollars goes a long way. And, uh, you know, so that was my start in real estate. I don't think I really started to under, you know, really understand it and, you know, kind of like the fundamentals of it until 2013 and 14, when I went up on my own. And now like, it's more of a level playing field, like people have capital, things are coming back. There's not just deals everywhere. And you really had to like build relationships and really figure out underwriting and execution and, you know, what's a rent roll and what's a cap rate and, you know, really start to educate yourself on the fundamentals of real estate. But uh, yeah, I mean, we started doing more transactional type uh, real estate business back in 2008. I think it's funny. You said that there was a, you know, just in hindsight today, there was a lot of opportunity and not a lot of money chasing it today. There is just money chasing every piece of dirt that you get to get, <laughs> get its hands on. Right. And so the opportunity is limited. Okay, so you were doing that in 2008, and in 2013, you say you went full-time. What did you go full-time into, flipping houses, or did you was multifamily involved then, or how did that 
uh, transaction happen. Yeah. So a little context, like going back to 2013, I had, you know, the previous five years, we had worked extremely hard. I mean, if you can imagine doing a hundred on average, a hundred flips a year, I mean, it's a lot of work. I mean, you're just on that hamster wheel. And at the end of the day, maybe you'd have like a couple million bucks split up amongst three or four partners. And then after taxes, you're left with not that much money. And so in 2013, I was like, well, I really want to be able to travel with my family. I really want to get married. I want to have a really healthy marriage. I want to be able to spend more time with her. I want to do like my passions with ministry and you know all these things. So what does that look like? So I started to look at what does scale look like? What does it look like to have some, like, what if I work really hard today and then I have create something that pays me long-term? And that's when I really started thinking about multifamily. And it really is just going back to my strength of, I understood how to renovate a home. I understood what people were looking for in a home. So then I thought I could just do basically 30 renovations on one address by an apartment building versus having 30 projects, you know, around Denver or Des Moines. So that was really the genesis. I was like, how can I work really hard on something that'll pay me long-term versus having to always be working hard and doing a lot of transactions. So I started buying like fourplexes back then, fourplexes, eightplexes in Denver. We were buying them then for like 80 to hundred a door. And we would put in like 10 to 15 to kitchens, bathrooms, you know, the whole thing. And by the time we were done, we could sell them for, let's say like 180, you know, by uh, 180 a door, like within like six to eight months, you know, we would, we would buy them, renovate the entire thing, clear the entire building, and then lease them up ourselves. And by the time we were leased up, we were like, okay, we'll refinance and go do the other one. But someone would come make us an offer and we could basically double or triple our equity. And we were like, oh, this is amazing. So we ended up selling out of a lot of those. But then what we were able to do is go buy in Des Moines, Iowa. So we would take that equity and let's say, um, you know, between private money and our equity, you know, we would have half a million to a million dollars. We would go buy a, like a 30 or 40 or 50 unit building in Des Moines with that equity and a local bank. And then we would have even more scale, right? And so we did that, you know, from 2000, really 13 to 2019 and built up a portfolio at one time in Des Moines of just ourselves with like no LPs, uh, no outside investors, like 500 doors between single family, some small multis, and then some larger, like hundred plus unit communities. And that's really where the light bulb went off. Like you can make life-changing money, like net distributable cash flow if you start buying larger buildings, right? And so I didn't totally understand that until I bought my first like 50 unit building. And like, once you had it stabilized, you're making like 10 to 15,000 a month after all the expenses. It's like, well, that's real money. You can like live off of that. And then, you know, we bought a hundred unit building and, you know, the average rents at the time maybe were 400 and now they're like 750, right? And it's like, man, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's real money. And so once I started to realize like, hey, if I just focus on larger deals, I can create like this stream of cash flow that's like irreplaceable and it's going to give me the time that I'm looking for to really like live out my passions and my calling. And so that was really the light bulb of just seeing like every step of the way that man, there's real cash flow, and then just thinking bigger and just focusing on how, what does that look like to structure and go after larger deals. And and you know we kind of hit the market where multifamily was becoming really attractive. A lot of people were getting into it, a lot of capital, and so naturally it's gotten harder and harder and harder. But um, you know I think it's just like any other industry, and I'm sure you can relate, Cameron, with you know the things you're doing in real estate. It's like even if there's a lot of capital, a lot of people, if you apply yourself and like really focus on the fundamentals think that there's always deals, really good deals to do. It's amazing that you guys were not pulling any kind of investor capital in on these first, you know, transactions in those, I guess, mid 2000, you know, 10 years. Um, what you said, you had some, I guess, some uh, private equity, and then obviously your bank partners. 
at what point did you realize, okay, we can scale even further with other people's money and bring on LPs? Yeah. Well, it was, um, you know, so I, when 2013, I left the partnership that I had with my buddies from, uh, with my you know teammates and I partnered with a, a, another guy from Colorado Christian that was much more analytical, very good with numbers and really ran the back office. So in 2000, I think I had started doing stuff on my own. And then in 2014, he was in a transition and I basically came to him and said, you know how you go to college and you know, people, it's like, man, if I could ever work with one person, that'd be a great partner for me. We compliment each other. I trust him. He's really smart. He's good in the areas I'm not, you know, I, so that was this, that was this gentleman. And so we had an epic run. He ran the back office. I ran everything out in the field and put the deals together. And he had a couple bucks. I had a couple bucks. And then we had maybe three or four people that would just lend us money at 8%. So no LPs, no legal docs, no sub docs. I mean, we were in speed was like one of our biggest assets then and still is. But um, so that was how we were able to do it. So we were able to scale pretty quickly with our own capital and with some key private money, and then just having programmatic bank relationships. So we had a pretty simple capital stack and it allowed us to scale really quickly. 2019 rolls around and we had had a really good run. And he was basically like, look, I just want to play golf, spend time with my family, really work on my marriage. And, you know, he's really strong in his faith as well. And he was just like, look, I want to spend more time at home with my kids. And I was kind of at the point where I like the light bulb was going off and I was starting to build like really deep relationships with brokers, lenders. I was starting to get approached by like, you know, semi-institutional equity partners that were like, hey, look, we want to invest, like let us into your deals. And they were seeing what we were doing. And so the timing was just right for me to say, I think I can take this a step further and really build some like generational wealth and really like change the trajectory of my family and my brothers and sisters and my children. And so that was really it for me. I was like, I really think that I'm being called to like double down and grow this. He was being called to like take a step back. And so when he came to me in 2019, I started to think, okay, to replace him, he was doing, you know, you know, in any startup, he was doing like 10 people's jobs. Right. So I literally had to hire like four people to replace him. So that's when I started to think about, okay, I better figure out how to invest other people's money to, to pay for these people. I better start learning, figuring out fees and what an LP is and what this structure looks like. So I can start to generate some revenue even while, cause you know, when it's just you and your brother and a partner, like no one's taking a salary, right? We just live off the cash flow, And so we had no employees, you know, we had people that, you know, leasing and things like that, but it was no, no employees. And we were very lean and mean. And uh, so that's when I had to pivot in 2019 and start thinking about hiring people, structuring deals with LPs. I had to really understand the legal document, um, you know, just a, a full crash course in what it looks like to raise outside capital from LPs and have real, you know, partners uh, versus just like lenders. You know, prior to that, it was just lenders. And as long as I paid them off, they didn't care what happened with the property. And so that's how we, that's how I got to basically where I'm at now, uh, which is where, you know, we kind of do a hybrid where some deals I'll do, you know, we'll just do our own capital equity and debt. And then there's be some larger deals that we'll, we'll syndicate out. So that, that's kind of how I've gotten to that point, but it was, you know, a pretty steep learning curve, as I'm sure, you know, in your journey, it's like, when you go from your own capital and, or just like really close friends capital that are just lending you money to outside capital and they're writing you million, $2 million checks. I mean, you're held to a much higher standard in the care for the capital, the reporting, you know, all these nuances of syndication, I really had to learn. Yeah. It's a lot of the 
crossing T's and dotting I's that no one, you know, thinks is worthy for a, a LinkedIn post that is really what demands the most um, attention from you and, and mm-hmm. professionalism. Even in my journey, I've just learned, you know, I really won't consider partnering with operators if the reporting is not good. Because I, as an LP as well, love getting really good updates, really great reporting, mm-hmm. detailed things. And not everybody looks through that, but because I'm also an operator, I love to come through those numbers. And when they're pristine and right and consistently show up at the same time every month, that's a big win for me. And it speaks to the, uh, I guess, professionalism of the operator. So you got this guy replaced, I assume them, right? You hired your 10 people you needed to? I hired a couple people, hired the wrong people. Oh man. Very painful, very expensive. So then I did a crash course on like what it looks like to hire people. How do you hire and attract the right people? How do you do the how do you interview people the right way? You know, you know, Gary V, who I follow pretty closely, you know, his saying is, you know, you hire slow, fire fast. And I really had to learn that, you know, because I think intuitively as humans, we want to hire really fast and then fire slow because we want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but you actually have to do the inverse. So it's been a painful process. I mean, we now have 50 employees and it's still very difficult. We still have made a bunch of mistakes. We continue to make mistakes on that. I don't think anyone really has a silver bullet when it comes to hiring the right people all the time, but we've definitely gotten better. One of the things that really helped was just clarifying the culture. So if I, so I had to you know, sit down and say, you know, what are the five or six things that really defines me that I care about? And then let me put that into like, a business plan, a purpose, a mission statement, a culture. And then now, you know, we can filter everyone through, do you fit our culture? You know, are you these five or six things? And do you even belong in the room uh, with us? And so that's really helped us. But, you know, it's been, it's been very painful. I mean, it's a painful process, especially going through, you know, you go through COVID, you go through, you know, a lot of people not wanting to work. And so it got the labor pool, I think, got smaller and smaller. And, you know, we are needing more and more people. Prices are going up and up. And so it's been, you know, just so many challenges along the way, like most entrepreneurs. I have a question for you on, um, you know, we talk about reporting. I think reporting is an interesting thing. So we can segue for a minute. I think this could be valuable for the listeners. But, you know, if someone was to say to you, Cameron, I can put you with a group that's going to deliver 20 to 30% returns, double your money every 24 months. But the reporting is like, maybe not 100% accurate and maybe not always on time. Or would you prefer the like 12 to 15%, but like the reporting is like on the hour, on the 15th day after the quarter ends. And it's like so precise and looks really good. I mean, cause I, we come to this a lot because you know, we're pretty scrappy and we know how to make, uh, we know how to create a lot of value in the field, but like sitting at a desk at a computer, typing out reports and having desktop to me is like, it's been really hard for me because I know how I built my wealth and it's like out in the field, not at a computer. So we always go back and forth and we have some really analytical people in the office and they're like, Oh, reporting, reporting. And then we have some other people that are like really good in the field, you know, creating value. But what would you say? I mean, it's not like a perfect, obviously math equation, but if you had to say, which one do you, especially with the current economy, which one do you, would you prefer to invest in? That's a very, uh, hard question. I haven't been asked that. Would I rather make more money with bad reporting or, you know, good reporting with less money? I don't know. At the end of the day, I want my money to make more money. But at the end of the day too, as I see good reporting and I see very sophisticated updates, I see a company that's going to outlast a a broken market. Mm 
Hmm. And when I see a when I see a company who's who's good at making high returns, but the back end sucks, I wouldn't bet on them to survive a down market. Hmm. And so I'm going to invest long term with those who have their systems in place. That's just me personally, because I think that they'll be able to take care of my money my money much longer than those who don't button up the T's and I's. I don't know. That's just my yeah. No, totally. That's where I land. But that's a great question. I've never been asked that question. If I ever come across that dilemma, I will let you know and we'll, we'll, we'll do a little council session through it. <laughs> no, it's really interesting. You know, I think just the idea is like, you know, you look at publicly traded companies and they have to report every quarter and they have and, and they spend insane amounts of money right on this like team that all they do is crunch reports to deliver yep. and it has to be 100% accurate and they have to be audited. But it's like, if you took that energy and those resources and applied it more to like maybe improving the factory, or like the, you know, the chip, you know, to make it faster. And so it's that, it's that, that balance of like, at what point is too institutional hurting actual value creation, right? And that's something, you know, I am not institutional. If I'm spending time at a computer other than talking to people like you, I'm losing, right? I, I, my, the highest and best use of my time is out in the field, meeting with contractors, brokers, bankers, and potential LPs, right? I, I need to be out in the field. I need to be with people. And then there's other people that are amazing at doing other things, very analytical, and their highest and best use is at a computer. And I just firmly believe that, and, and, I, and I do agree with you that systems and process have to be dialed in. Uh, but where I struggle is the value creation of lowering expenses on an apartment building, lowering expenses, raising rents, and keeping on budget in construction is really done in the field. And then, you know, I want a team of people that can deliver that message. Uh, accurately, as accurately as possible, without compromising returns, right? Without compromising returns. And I think speed in today's market is a really big thing. And so whenever you're focused on reporting, 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 at the sake of being able to, you know, have speed with execution, speed to make offers, speed to close, because that's how, you know, that's how we won. You know, that's how we won disproportionately from 2013 to 19. And I think now entering this, you know, space of like maybe more institutional type assets, like I do think that speed, you know, uh, with the right reins and the right focus is still an asset uh, without compromising, you know, without compromising returns. So I don't know, that's just something that I struggle with, because I meet with a lot of institutions. And it's like, guys, do you want me to get you the best return? Or do you want the prettiest report? Because I can go hire a bunch of really smart MBA kids to give you the best report, but that's not going to get you the best return. You know what I mean? So I, and, but I do agree with you, systems and process. So anyways, just something that we always discuss internally and I think is an interesting topic and just something to keep front of mind, right? Like reporting is important up until it sacrifices returns. Great perspective. And, and every, every investor has a different appetite. They have a different risk yeah. appetite. They have a different return appetite. They have a different operator appetite. And so it's just dependent on the investor and you know, identifying your avatar and mm-hmm. making sure that you're aligning your company to fit what they want so that they'll write you the check at the end of the day. Right. So let's talk about this real quick. I want to segue. You talked about the beginning whenever you were playing basketball and getting to be overseas and do those really cool events mm-hmm. with uh, kiddos and professional teams, which just sounds awesome. You had a spark of, I guess, curiosity and wondering you of how you could provide for this. So, you know, and also seeing your, one of your partners kind of want to spend more time with family. Now you have a family as well. How have you, I guess, been able to, uh, in the past or currently kind of shape your business in a way that supports your desire to help people 
maximize the potential of their life, be it tenants, investors, family, because you have more time with them. I don't know. I just want to know, like, how does your business, if it does at all, affect the good that you want to make in people's lives on earth? Yeah. Yeah, I think the number one thing that I get from the New Testament is that, you know, like you can't get to the end of your life and, you know, you're in front of like your creator and him not say like good done, uh, good and faithful servant, well done, good and faithful servant. You know what I mean? Like it can't be in vain if you're going to build wealth, but it's at the sacrifice of your relationship with your wife, your kids, and like sharing the gospel with people, then what have you really done? I mean, just money, just for money is super empty, right? I, I mean, coming from sports, like I've been around owners about, you know, billionaires, multiple billionaires around, like spent mo- a lot of time with them. And they're some of the most empty people in the world and some of the most lonely people. And uh, so I really believe that like the Bible is so true when it comes to money, you know, it's like, it's more blessed to give than receive, you know? And, uh, and then the, you know, the Bible talks about, you know, God, it's the only time he says, test me in this, you know, like if you give and you sow, like you're going to reap a harvest. And so, and it's not like you give because of that, you know, it's just, you give because that's what we feel like we're called to do. And we think that it, that's the right thing. Cause at the end of the day, it's not ours, right? None of it's ours. Even like my name may be on title, right? And uh, my bank account may say, but it's not mine, right? I'm, I'm called to be a steward of it. And a steward really means like, how can I use it to grow it so that I can expand and share the truth at scale more, right? And more effectively and, uh, you know, more regularly and all those things. So I just think, you know, when we get into these talks, like I get asked all the time, like, oh, when are you done? When are you this? And it's like, you know, I think that coming from a sports background, it'd be like someone asking Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods or whoever your favorite athlete is, is like, um, you know, when are you good enough? Like if you're, if you're really focused on being the best you can be, you're never like done. You all, I mean, life is a journey. We should always be trying to be better fathers, better husbands, you know, better decision makers, you know, being in business is really just about making decisions. So it's like, how are you ever are you ever too good at making decisions? I don't think so. You know, are you ever too good of a father? And so, you know, that's the way I view, that's the way I view my life. Like, I mean, I want to continue to get better. I want to continue to find ways to improve and just to become the best uh, at what, you know, with what God's, what God's given me. And, um, and I think there's so many scriptures that back that up. I happen to live it in sports, right? I mean, I think one of the things that really cemented this for me was, you know, I played high school basketball and like, you know, every tournament or every season, like I would get to the end of the season and, you know, I'd be ranked at a certain place and I'd kind of go into the off season and feel like, man, I'm like one of the best players here around, you know, but then when you go to college and I'm playing against guys from Dallas, Fort Worth and Houston, right. It's a much different thing, you know, and I'm like, wow, I should have worked harder, right. I should have worked harder. Like I had four years that I basically did not maximize my potential. And I'll never forget, you know, that feeling being a freshman of like, man, what did I, what did I do? You know what I mean? What have I been doing? Like, there's all these kids out working me way stronger, way faster. Like, and so I don't, and I, so I think that's one of the things that motivates me today is I don't want to get to the end of my life and be looking back when I'm in heaven, be like, man, I could have done so much more right with that time with money and those things. And so I just think, you know, building wealth is an amazing thing and real estate's a great vehicle, but if building wealth doesn't improve your relationship with your wife, your children, and allow you to have amazing experiences with your family and friends and to share the gospel and like help people grow, then I don't think building wealth is really worth it. Right. Cause outside of that, I don't see the point, you know, I've been super poor and then now I've had, you know, more, much more resources than I ever could have imagined. And I've been everywhere in between. 
and I just don't see the point unless it's with that perspective, you know? And so, and I think the Bi that's one of the three things I love about the Bible is the Bible is true. Like Solomon, all these guys in the Bible, like what they're saying is true. And they wrote it 2000 years ago. Right. And so to me, that's what motivates me. That's what I think the point of life is period. And I think that's why I am really passionate about what I'm doing and I want to be the best at it. And I want to get the best return for my, you know, the money that God's given me and the money that people have trusted me with so that they can do the same thing. And, uh, and I think outside of that, I don't understand the purpose of wealth, of trying to pursue wealth. Cause outside of that, I think it's pretty empty. Man. I love it. That's a great line is if building wealth sacrifices your, your family, your marriage, your faith, then it's not worth it to build wealth. Totally. Um, it's a lot. Yeah. And like, like you have met a lot of, um, miserable and happy rich people and poor people. And right. uh, it's about this perspective of why we're here, what our purpose is, and can building wealth um, be a good tag team partner along the way to accomplishing God's will on this earth. And, and most certainly can a lot of cases. I think you're a shining example of that. What's a way that you like to give back today in your life and your community? So we moved into a new home, uh, 2020. We moved in. My wife was pregnant. We had a baby, baby Noah. We had him in May of 2020. We moved into the house, April of 2020. And our neighbor, two houses down, has become like a real champion of kind of like faith and generosity in my life. And he, he introduced me to this group in Denver called, it's like Shark Tank, but it's for churches. So like startup churches from around the country come to Denver one time a year. And, you know, they're basically just like fundraising. And so I got connected with that, you know, a year and a half ago or something. And, and what's been cool is I've been able to use my relationships in real estate, you know, relationships with banks to help multiple churches buy their first building. And, you know, in Denver or like California or really expensive cities to live in that are unchurched and Colorado, what's interesting is Denver is one of the most unchurched cities in the country. And so it's really, really hard for these startup churches to buy real estate, uh, the liquidity, the banking, just access to the deals. And so, and that's been one of the really amazing things. And our home church, you know, we were able to help them uh, buy their building during COVID and the church is like quadruple. Because what's amazing about churches is like, once they have a building that's theirs, like their growth is exponential. It's not all about, you know, growth, but it's like amazing to see more people wanting to come once you actually have a building, you're not meeting in like a high school auditorium. And, uh, you know, so I've been able to help, you know, several churches do that and, you know, find, find the property, you know, fund the property, negotiate the due diligence and then do the renovation. And so, you know, that to me has been like amazing. And I think being able to look back and, you know, see multiple churches that we can go to and be like, man, we were like instrumental in this church, you know, being able to get this building, I think is an amazing thing. And just a really, uh, it's, you know, I feel like it's kind of like my role maybe in the body of Christ is like, Hey, if I can use, you know, the platform and the relationships and my experience, because most pastors don't really understand how a real estate transaction works. And so me being able to come alongside them and it's something I really enjoy and I can do relatively easily. And, uh, you know, so I think besides, you know, I have, I have a college teammate from JBU that I think is like the modern day Jim Elliott. And he was like the best basketball player. He comes from like a, a farm town in Arkansas called Hector, Arkansas. It's like 200 people. Right. And he ended up being the best basketball player in the country. He broke like every record, even division one uh, for three pointers made. And he gets done with his career. He played a little bit overseas and he was like, man, I just want to be a missionary. And um, so he's a full-time missionary in Mali, Africa, Bamako, Mali. Um, one of the most unchurched, uh, one of the most Muslim places in the world. 
and he's there with his family. He's got three children. They're adopting their fourth. And, you know, he's just like the stories that he tells me, you know, so there's certain missionaries that we've been able to pour into and help and encourage and support. But, um, you know, I just think, you know, the church thing is really near and dear to my heart because I'm able to use something that I do every day and then can go and like see the impact, you know, one or two years later of like a congregation and, you know, lead, you know, worship and it's just the whole thing, you know, has been really, really incredible. And it's, I think it's been a cool testimony for my wife as well. Cause she's like, oh, wow, that's amazing that like, you know, cause if someone asked her what her husband did, she wouldn't even know, but she can say like, oh yeah, we helped, you know, or my husband was helping, you know, has helped this church get this building. So I think that's been amazing and something I'm really passionate about and looking forward to helping other startup churches do in the future. That's awesome, man. I, I, I love that heart and passion you have. We have a, a buddy in our Kingdom REI mastermind up in Nashville who likes to help pe- people pe- uh, specifically in the church learn how to real estate invest for the first time or, you know, second time and, and to do it long term. And so I love that you use those skills in your local church because, man, buying a building is hard. And if you've only been in ministry your entire life, you don't really know what you're doing as far as real estate goes. So right. when the church members can come alongside and help facilitate that, you know, all the more power. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Well, Hey, how can people get in touch with you? If they want to know more about you, your story, or I want to ask you a question or two, how can they get in touch with you? So I'm on Instagram, uh, at Terrence Doyle. I'm on LinkedIn at Terrence Doyle. I think that's the best way we can put our website, maybe in the show notes. And, um, I have a newsletter that I started a couple months ago, and I think maybe your audience would really enjoy it because I basically, I share a proverb and I'm really big into golf now. So it's like a monthly tea time with Terrence. And basically I share a proverb and then I talk about what I'm learning and then a deal that I've done. And then uh, basically a snapshot of my life, like some pictures from my phone or like, yeah, from my library, my photo library from that month. And it's pretty short, sweet. I think we've gotten some really good feedback in terms of just like the value from like a proverb and then relaying it to, you know, everyday life. So believers, you know, people that would, you know, say that they follow Christ, I think subscribe and get a lot of value. And then people that maybe are in a different place spiritually have found it to be enjoyable as well. So I'd love to uh, have your audience, if they're interested, to be able to sign up for that. So we can, um, we can put a link uh, maybe in the show notes for that as well. Yeah. Is that in your website or um, you have it? It's, it's not in our website, but we can send it to you. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to send it. We'll be sure and put it in the show notes. So if okay, you guys cool. want to subscribe to that, feel free to look in the show notes of this episode and you can um, you know find your way to get on that subscription and tea time with Terrell. Man, I love golf too. It's my favorite thing in the world. So it's exciting to have another brother in real estate loving golf. That's right. I had Ellis in Dallas recently. We played golf and um, had a good time. It was a little, little hot, a little windy. The course uh, ate us alive, but hey, we had a good time. Yeah, a lot of good golfers coming out of Dallas right now. Scheffler, Spieth. I mean, it's the it's there's a it's a hotbed right now. Yeah, man. Dallas Dallas breeds them golfers, man. That's well, right. hey, Terrence, appreciate your time coming on, telling your story, what you do, where you came from, what you're doing today, and how you're using the gifts God's given you and the passion to help his uh, his people on this earth and bring his kingdom on to this earth while we're here. So appreciate you, brother. Thanks so much for tuning in this episode. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Cameron. <laughs>